Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God. Good morning. If you are new or fairly new here, um, we invite you, we welcome you guys to worship with us. Uh, My name is Brian Park, and um, I have the honor to share the word with you guys as our head pastor, Donnie Cho, and his wife, Angela, are away on vacation And we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Hebrews as we have been uh, focusing on this theme of trusting Jesus, meaning who he is, what he's done, and how that radically shapes our lives. And as we go through the book of Hebrews today, we want to focus on this theme of Jesus Christ as our encourager. So I'm going to ask that you guys would join me as we, in prayer as we dive into the word this morning. Lord God, we come before you, we honor you, we exalt your name, Lord God, on this day of rest and worship. And Lord God, as we rest in you, we come in confession. Lord God, we are broken people in need of healing. We are repentant people in need of salvation. So, Lord God, at this time, Lord, may you hear our hearts, may you hear our cries. And, Lord God, use this word this morning, Lord God, to convict us, Lord God, to know you more, Lord God. And as we find our identity in you, Lord God, we can find assurance for the day Lord God, I pray that you will use me accordingly to your strength, for I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. Use me accordingly to your will. Lord God, may you bless this time. We honor you, we praise you in your son's name. We pray, amen. The one thing Philadelphia is known for is our passion towards our sports teams. We often cheer in victory. We weep in defeat. But passion doesn't always equal victory. In fact, since 1984, only the 2008 Phillies have won a championship title. Some sports analysts would even say that Philadelphia has the four worst combined teams today. And unfortunately, one team they are referring to is the 76ers. Allow me to explain. In 2013, uh, former general manager Sam Hinkie 
was the architect of arguably the most dramatic teardown in sports history. It was dubbed the process. Now, what the process was, what was the goal, is to destroy and to rebuild. So, in the process, they began by trading anyone half decent uh, just for future draft picks and money. Since 2013, the 76ers won less than 20% of their games during this process. The past 30 years was a time of much discouragement with a very, very, very bleak outlook for Philly sports fans. We weep, and we weep often. Well, this past year, this has somewhat changed. All of a sudden, the 2016 and 17 Sixers are actually winning games. According to ESPN, all of a sudden, uh, they're averaging about 17,000 fans per game, the most since 2005 and 2006. But the question is, why? Well, the one that's changing this negative outlook um, on our NBA season for the 76ers is of one named Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is the rookie center for us, and he's averaging about 20 points and 8 rebounds per game in under 25 minutes. He's the, uh, he's the star. He's the one that's shining amongst us. All of a sudden, the team that was the laughing stock of the NBA is now the talk of the league. The first time there is hope. The process, which was a cloud of discouragement for fans, it finally is starting to make sense because we are witnessing the fruit of it. Joel Embiid is the reminder that these three seasons of loss, embarrassment, and discouragement was not in vain. Joel Embiid was showing Philly that the process was for purpose. In the same way, Life often feels like the early stages of a process where we all witness just much shame and suffering and discouragement. But what does Scripture tell us? It tells us that there is also a hope for you and I. There is hope in our process, and we find it in a great high priest whose name is Jesus Christ. So the question we want to answer is how is Jesus Christ our true encourager in your own personal process? I have three points for y'all this morning, and it is in access, with assurance, and through community. Access, assurance, and community. The first point is in access. Look at verse 19 with me. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. See, this passage here, Hebrews 10 verse 19, it's beginning a distinct unit within the structural format of Hebrews. It's now a direct address to the persecuted people group, and he addresses them as brothers and sisters, which is actually a very rare statement in the book of Hebrews. He is now addressing them as family. 
What's he addressing to family? He's addressing this. He's reminding the people of God to be encouraged because they have access to the presence of God himself. Why is this important for us to know? See, Christianity is the only religion where access to God comes from God himself. Every other religion tells us that access to God comes from your own merit, works, and self-righteousness. But verse 19, what does it tell us? It tells us that we have access to enter. Even though all throughout Scripture, it tells us we did not deserve this access. This started from the very beginning. See, uh, when you look at Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall. And when there is a fall, the realization is that the separation between God and man was infinitely great. So for Israel, what they did was they set up a religious system. And in this religious system, to put away their sins once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. It was where the high priest was permitted to enter into the holy place, the holiest of holies. And what this priest would do once a year is he would go into the holiest of holies he would get a sacrifice, an animal. He would sprinkle the blood of this animal on the mercy seat of the ark for forgiveness of himself and his people. See, under Old Testament law, forgiveness from God only came with a worthy sacrifice. But the fact that The sin offering was offered annually. It shows this. It shows that sin could not truly be atoned for by mere animal sacrifices. So scripture tells us that there had to be much more. Animal sacrifice and blood was not enough. We needed blood that was far superior. And the author of Hebrews is reminding of this right now, as we see in verse 20, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Now, the old way into the sanctuary to point A to point B, they had to go through a curtain, a veil, See, the veil in the temple was a constant reminder that sin separates God and man. It separates us from the very presence of God. So when the author of Hebrews says that the curtain is his body, Jesus Christ, through his death, has removed the barriers between God and man. That's why when you see in Matthew chapter 27 verse 50, when Jesus Christ is sacrificed on the cross, it says, when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The tearing of the veil at the moment of Jesus' death symbolized that his sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood, was a 
sufficient atonement for our sins today. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ experienced ultimate separation, so we are no longer separated. Here we see the image of Jesus' flesh being torn, separated into two, so we are now one with the Father. Verse 21 says, since we have a great priest over the house of God, meaning you and I can now enter the holiest of holies through him. Now the word that stands out to me here is specifically in verse 19 is the word confidence. In verse 19, the word confidence comes from the Greek word parousia. And this word parousia is sometimes translated as authorization. I love this translation because it tells us that the only way you and I have access to the holiest of holies is if someone gives us authorization. Allow me to explain. Last week, I got a call from my bank. And it was because there was this questionable charge on my account for a few hundred dollars at a Banana Republic in New York City. So I got this phone call. They asked, Mr. Park, did you make a purchase at Banana Republic in New York City? Wrestling with my high-maintenance bougie self, I actually was starting to wonder, did I do that? But I realized I did not, and I told them, no, 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 I did not do that. I started to panic out. I said, absolutely not. No, did I, I did not make that purchase. Is everything okay? And they, they say, Mr. Park, you are absolutely fine. There's no need to worry. There's nothing wrong with your account. But there was attempted fraud, and they did have your credit card information, However, as they were trying to finish the transaction, they realized that they were not authorized to use your card, so it was declined. See, the ones who had my information thought they had access, but access was denied because the bank did not authorize the transaction. In the same way, we cannot give ourselves any type of self-authorization into the presence of God. You will always be denied. Only God can give you authorization to enter, and the gospel tells us we have this authorization to be in presence with him. Jesus Christ is our encourager, for he gives us access by sacrificing not animals, but he sacrifices himself. And this leads us to our second point. He encourages us with assurance. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Now here, the author is reminding us that, number one, we have access, but second part of that is, is with full assurance. What do I mean by assurance? Assurance means that in Jesus Christ, I'll be very, very clear, 
your salvation is not in jeopardy. Assurance means that in seasons of suffering, Christ is actually with you. He's literally with you in this moment right now. Assurance means you can be honest in faith and repentance without any type of condemnation. Verse 22 tells us how we are assured, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So what Jesus Christ, the great high priest, does is when he sacrifices himself, he, his pure water of his perfect righteousness, innocence, and purity was sprinkled upon us. And we are now bathed in perfection. We then become robed with his perfect righteousness. We are cleansed completely. In other words, Jesus Christ on the cross is the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 36. Hear these words. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And because of this truth, and because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy, you have a full assurance in Christ to not a distant God, but a very good Father. Let me explain this. Not too long ago, I had a dear friend of mine. She shared her story about how difficult it was for her and her understanding of a mother. See, growing up, uh, she was raised by her adoptive mom. And my friend always shared about how difficult this was. My friend, she shared that she always called her adoptive mom not by her, she called not by mother, but by her legal name. And there was a reason for this. See, my friend, she didn't have a great experience with this title of endearment. See, for her, this title, mother, was actually a very bad title. It reminded her that she never really had one growing up. She remembered when she used to call her birth mom. When she actually tried to call her, she would scream in tears. She would scream, Mom, because they were locked out for hours. She remembered the times where she would try calling Mother to realize that she was to no avail. So for my good friend, she hated this title, Mother. So when she, when she saw her adoptive mother, she called her by her actual legal name, See, my friend always called her adoptive mother by her actual name because it reminded her of abandonment. The title mother reminded her of her own suffering. The title mother reminded her of her disappointments. It wasn't until one day in high school where she uh, is having a conversation with her mother. Her mother goes up to my friend and she says, daughter, 
I want you to do me a favor. I want you to start calling me mom. And my friend shared that she would never forget this moment because she never realized how broken she actually was. It was at this moment, my friend said that she would never forget. It was at this moment, my friend realized that she has access. She also realized that she had the assurance that she will always be her mother. See, in the same way, God as Father is the reminder that everything Christ did for us, it is access with full assurance. When Jesus Christ on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the declaration that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would lose his access to the Father so you and I can now have access. For you and I, the cross is the vivid reminder that the impersonal became personal, that God became Father, that you and I are adopted as sons and daughters, and regardless of any circumstance, regardless of any shame, that will never, ever change. You are adopted as sons and daughters. It was a full declaration, and you and I are given that assurance, and we see it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Some of y'all, for honest, might say that God is the Father, and you probably pray a prayer that God is the Father but in reality, you probably function like he's a distant, neglectant father. You probably are scared of him for a little bit. Some of y'all may be in this room. You don't even understand this notion at all. I, don't, I can never, ever see God as father. And I just want to say that if this is you this morning, my prayer, my hope is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring light into this dark reality. That is my prayer for you. Be encouraged. You don't have to function like the Jewish worshipers waiting outside the tabernacle for their high priest to emerge yearly. You have a great high priest. And as the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says, God exerted Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms meaning Jesus Christ as the great high priest, he sat down at the right hand of God, meaning the work is complete. It is done. It is finished. It is your assurance. So we see that Jesus Christ gives us access. We are encouraged because it is our blessed assurance well, finally, experience. Unservingly to the hope we profess, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
not giving up meeting together as some are one another. This passage right now is giving us many let us statements and the point is very clear. The passage is about the importance of biblical community. What we see in verse 23 through 25 is this pastoral command to be involved with others and to have others involved with you. But it's very difficult if we're honest. Community is not an easy thing. See, in the depth of our sin, we tend to be a little selfish. We tend to be a little bit selfish with our time. We tend to be a little bit selfish with our finances. We are just a little selfish at the root of it all. But may the gospel remind us to be more selfless, just as Christ was selfless for us. It's about community, biblical community that will love and walk well with one another. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, 19, verse 20 through, through 25, it gives us a few uh, tips on how to do so. There, these verses tells us three ways of practicing a biblical community. And we see these three things as gather, to challenge, and to encourage. Gather, challenge, and encourage. First point we see is to gather. Verse 25 says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, it's here where the author of Hebrews is kind of showing his concern. See, one thing we know about the community he's speaking to is that this community is starting to uh, experience uh, the heavy weight of persecution. And what this persecution is doing is there, it's allowing them to kind of disengage with God and the people. So the author of Hebrews is saying, don't give up due to your persecution, but rather let this persecution allow you to gather. Practically, I believe this is our call to being intentional with your gatherings. Meaning in this room, gather with someone. Get connected with someone. Invite someone to a Starbucks. Get yourself a PSL and chop it up with someone. Gather intentionally gathering. And let me say this about gathering. You know, it's really easy to engage with people you have similar likes and values with, but the church is beyond this comfort. In fact, the church should probably be the one place you should feel very uncomfortable when you are trying to break down the walls of race, cultural background, social, economical status, and your political affiliation. We are called to be his people, to gather. Listen, the church is a room full of natural enemies. But by God's grace, he allows us to do supernatural things. Meaning, don't give up because the conversations are a little challenging. But gather despite our feelings. For God calls us to be a community centered in the gospel. 
second thing it tells us? It tells us to challenge. Look at verse uh, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What does the author of Hebrews mean by spurring one another? In the Greek, this idea of spurring one another is translated to stirring up, to arouse, to provoke. Specifically, we see this word used in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, where there is a sharp disagreement between the apostle Paul and Barnabas. What the author is reminding the community of God to say that sometimes we have to be a little bit confrontational with one another. That sometimes you and I are going to have difficult conversations and there will be disagreement. It will be tough. It will be difficult, especially with it's in the context of love and good deeds. It means this. Sometimes you have to be a little confrontational with the person. Sometimes if it's based on Scripture, if it's based on God's Word, if someone is in sin, there may have to be a little bit of rebuking. We are called to that challenge This is true accountability, love and good deeds. It's not just words. It is an action. It's an active compassion. It is not passive. It is not just words. If someone is in sin, you can spur that person to repent in faith. We are called to challenge. We are called to spur one another. On a side note, if I could say this, when we talk about challenging and spurring one another on, it's very clear we need to repent of our own selves when we do so. Because lots of times we tend to kind of make it our own agenda, but not of Scripture. So the warning is, if you are going to spur someone into good word and deeds, I pray, I ask, I plead that you would do so to repent yourself and to dwell on it and to really consider, is this my agenda or is this God's? Third thing we see in community, the author of Hebrews teaches us to encourage. Not giving up meeting together is some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now, the word encourage comes from the Greek word parakaleo. It means to comfort. It means to counsel, to be side by side, if you will. Now, what I love about this root word, parakaleo, we see this in John chapter 14, verse 6. And we see that the Holy Spirit is referred to as comforter, counselor, or paraclete, meaning that God The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the third person of the Trinity, is called to be on our side. He is our paraclete. He is our wonderful counselor, and he dwells in every believer. And if this Holy Spirit, paraclete, wonderful counselor, side-by-side figure in our lives, if he is in us, Holy Spirit in us, we are to be some form of paraclet towards one another. 
When we say we are to encourage, it's not just saying a nice thing. Encouragement is not just saying, I hope you have a great week. I kind of like you. That is not encouragement at all. You didn't do any type of encouragement. You just gave me a fact. (laughs) Encouragement is more than just a good word. Encouragement is not just saying a nice thing. Encouragement, parakleo, is comfort. It's counseling. It's walking with people in the most intimate part of their lives, and you're with them in the most darkest time of need. That is what it means to encourage we are called to do this well. We are called to do this when the context of community. If Jesus Christ is the great high priest, but we are unified with this great high priest, then you, on, uh, you and I, excuse me, are to function, to live as a priesthood, not only to our city, but with one another. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, you are a chosen priesthood, a chosen people. Royalty, a holy nation, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, beautiful, radiant light. I'm going to close it with this, and I'll be out your way. When you look at the end of verse 25, the author of Hebrews says, and all the more as ye see the day approaching. The day approaching he is referring to is not today. The day approaching he is not a reference to Sunday worship. The day is referring to the last day of the present age. The day Christ will return from heaven to hold his final judgment to establish his heaven on earth. Now the question is, why does the unnamed author close with this truth? I think it's his stamp on a closed envelope. I think it's his final warning. It's his command. It's an imperative to not take this command of community lightly. If you are in union with Jesus Christ, our encourager, the great high priest who gives us access, then it is our call to be in union with others, to function as priests towards one another in spurring and encouragement until that very day approaches. And will you guys join me in that truth today? Join me in prayer.